Coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 49 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook and Dolores Lozano, and we have an amazing show on deck. We are actually not at the Weed Desserts studio today. We've actually moved the Weed Desserts studio to St. John's High School, where we are here for Justice Winslow's, uh, I guess, inaugural basketball camp, and so he's going to join us here in just a few minutes on the podcast. But we've got, you know, outside of Justice, we've got an amazing show on tap. We've got Bart Ennis joining us from Root Sports Southwest. We've got Jimmy Price, the owner and founder of Astros Future. He's going to talk a little bit about minor league baseball. Absolutely great interview. And we also have an interview from Anand Pandian from CBS Sports. He's going to break down the uh, recent NBA championship for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Team USA basketball, and more. But, uh, guys, I'm really excited about this week's episode. I am thrilled about it. First of all, it's lit over here, as you said, Dolores. Oh, yeah, it's so lit. It is popping off in this basketball camp. It's really fun to get to see Justice, and I get to see these kids working some basketball skills here in Houston, improving the quality of basketball here in Houston, something I personally care deeply about. But we also had some reviews. We had some great guests. I could not feel better. I'm honestly um, I'm aroused. That that's good. I'm kind of a little disturbed to hear that, and I think Dolores is a little disturbed whoa, to hear that too. But whoa, whoa, uh, Dolores, whoa. you've been at this basketball camp for the entire week. Uh, what has that experience been like with you working with, I guess, tomorrow's stars? It's been great. There's a very diverse group of kids here, um, and the volunteers actually had to run suicides and uh, shoot layups today, so it was pretty intense. And I had a I got to go back to my high school basketball skills and show them off on the court today so that was pretty fun now kevin where were you this morning were you covering the uh were you showing off your skills at all i had donuts i got donuts on the way here this morning that's about all i did were they from we dessert they were not because we desserts didn't open that early and on a sunday morning but they should i will go by we desserts after this as always but but no they were from uh southern made donuts i think is the name of the place i like a good donut what can i say no, that, there's nothing wrong with that. And speaking of wee desserts, my sister actually stopped by wee desserts on Saturday. She said that uh, Penny and Jen hooked her up. She said she got great stuff there. But I would highly recommend that if you listen to this podcast, you stop by wee desserts. All listeners to the podcast get 10% off if they go tell Penny and Jen that they listen to the Weekly Brew Podcast. It's like cheers. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And honestly, they're pretty good with names. You tell them once, they'll remember your name. They'll take a picture of you, put it on Instagram. You'll be part of the family. So 10% discount, a place that feels like home. What else do you need from a baker? If you want to go to We Desserts, just make sure to stop by 3411 Kirby here in Houston. Tell Penny and Jen that the guys and the finesse queen from the Weekly Brew sent you by. But if you want to also follow our work, we recommend that you check us out on social media. We put great content out each week. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also subscribe to our website, weeklybrewcast.com. Just go ahead and hit subscribe, and each episode is pushed to your inbox as soon as we post it. So it goes right to your phone. How convenient could that be? I was going to say, do you want to give your Twitter handle? Because you are always trying to I get do want to give my Twitter handle. I was actually about to jump in and do it. Could you tell? At K. Michael Cook, I put out great content that isn't necessarily related to the podcast, although it often is, and you should follow me there because I need more followers. It's basically where I derive my self-worth, and right now my self-worth is about 526, I think. Not very high. His tweets are lit, let me tell you. My tweets are lit. Okay, okay. I guess Kevin's tweets are lit. Maybe it's the hair. I don't know. But uh, last week, John McClain on the podcast said that he had 110,000 followers and that he needed a little bit more. That just makes me feel like insecure that I have like, I don't know, just north of 500 and you know, I, I do need more followers for mine, but I'm not out there with a hundred thousand followers, like begging for more. I mean, come on, come on. You realize that we look like 
You guys listen to our podcast, you love it, and we look like jerks with no Twitter followers. Get on it, folks. A. Staten, K. Michael Cook, and what is it, one Dolores Lozano? Yes. Oh, I nailed it. <laughs> and also, thank you to the listeners for actually going and following Matt Weston yeah. from Battle Red Blog. He joined us last week on the podcast, said that he didn't have many followers uh, that he gained from joining you know, different podcast interviews, but our listeners stepped up and they followed him, so we commend you. Yeah, just do it to us now. You know, speaking of like hot Twitter accounts, lit Twitter accounts as Kevin and Dolores, I guess my vernacular just doesn't quite cover that, but uh, uh, you know, speaking of hot teams, we've got you know the Houston Astros right now that are like the hottest team in the American League. I mean, they've absolutely destroyed the Kansas City Royals in the first few games of the series. Now, again, we're recording on Sunday. Uh, we spoke with Bart Ennis on Friday this week, and so you're going to really enjoy that content. But Dolores, you were out covering the team this week, and you know they flat out look remarkable. No, they really look remarkable. And just being in the clubhouse is just like a great vibe. It's a great team as it is. They are always full of energy and very positive. But it's awesome to see their hard work pay off, and they're on a eight-game winning streak? Yeah, as of now, they're on an eight-game winning streak. They are had the second-best record in the American League since May 1st, only behind the Texas Rangers. Uh, but right now, they're only a game out of the wild card. So they went from being 13 games below 500 to now three games over 500. And you know what the difference has been, in my opinion? I think the Astros' hot streak actually began once Orbit and Dolores started their, I don't know, pseudo-relationship? Yeah, I think so, too. I think Orbit and I are good luck. I've been making a lot of moon pies lately. So you said so. good luck? Good luck for the Astros. Luck. Oh, okay, gotcha. Good luck. What did you I think I said? I misheard you. Go ahead. You've got a <laughs> dirty mind. <laughs> well. I will just say that we are at St. John's High School, which is a Catholic school. So, Kevin, uh, take that outside. Yeah, it brings out the worst to me, being in a Catholic but institution. But I do want to give a shout-out to Orbit. Hey, Bay, how are you doing? I'll see you on Friday. Does Orbit talk? I know he tweets. Does he talk? He whistles at me. Whistles, okay. So he catcalls, or is that an alien call? It's, I don't know. Well, I'll have to ask on Friday. You know, I think one thing that we could use is a review from Orbit. I think that would be great. Yeah. We, we want to make sure that, you know, you go to iTunes each week and you tell us what you like. Give us show ideas. Tell us, you know, interview ideas that you want to have. And we had some great reviews this week. We'll get to that at the end of the show. So just make sure to search Weekly Brew on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on TuneIn. You know, pretty much any place where you can find a podcast, we are there. So make sure to search Weekly Brew or Weekly Brewcast and you can find our content. But again, we have a amazing show in store for you today in episode episode 49 again we have an interview with justice winslow of the miami heat bart ennis of root sports southwest jimmy price of astros future and Anin pandian of cbs sports so we've got a packed show on deck so it's time to sit back relax and be informed you're listening to the weekly brew now joining us on the weekly brew podcast is justice winslow a 6-7 forward for the miami heat who just wrapped up his rookie season in the nba now, Justice, we're back here at St. John's High School doing this interview after your basketball camp, and you've had a lot of great memories here. I mean, I look back and I see the 2013 National Gatorade Player of the Year, the 2014 McDonald's All-American Honors, 2015 National Championship at Duke, and just a year ago, the Heat selected you with the 10th overall pick in the NBA draft. And I guess when you come back to this gym, does it allow you to almost reflect on the last few years as a basketball player? I mean... Pretty nostalgic, you know, for me being back here. Um, I spent seven years here, middle school and high school, and so um, just the relationships, the friendships, but the memories, you know, especially on the court, you know, winning three out of four state championships, and um, the one my freshman year was special. Um, my brother hit the buzzer beater, and you know, we all stormed the court, and so um, it was great. Um, it's just so many memories here, and to be having my own camp, um, run by my family and friends uh, here at my high school, um, really means a lot, and so. Um, 
it's just a this is a great time for everyone. The kids are having fun, and so um, time has flown um, in the past two years. I've been all over the country, um, doing what I love most importantly, and so um, I couldn't be more thankful. Is that almost surreal to know that just two years ago you were playing high school basketball in here, and now two years later you're leading a camp for kids that look up to you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, time really does fly, and I'm just trying to make the most of this opportunity I have in this life um, and reach as many lives as possible. So um, every little thing goes a long way, whether it's just a high five or, or telling a kid good job. But um, just to be here, you know, two years ago, um, around this time, I was just graduating high school here. And so um, it, it's been a whirlwind, but I've enjoyed, you know, every second of it. So how much do you keep up with the uh, the high school ball that's still going on here? Obviously, you were a big part of the Houston basketball community. There's a lot of talent here. Darren Fox is a guy that I covered and looked at a lot. I mean, how in touch with you are what's going on in the, in the uh, high school basketball realm still? Um, well, in college, I was probably more aware of it. Um, this past season, I was just so locked in on the NBA. But, um, you know, some of the guys that are just a little bit younger than me, I still keep in contact with. Uh, I played with De'Aaron Fox, you know, he's headed to Kentucky. We played at AAU together for a year, and so um, just watching him grow has been special. Um, just to think one more year from now, you know, we could be playing against each other or playing with me, you know, in the NBA. And so um, there's a lot of great young talent, you know, in the city, of course, but um, it'll forever always be a football state. Speaking of young talent, there's a lot of great kids out here today, and it's an invitational camp. So how were the kids selected to be a part of your camp? Um, well, during the registration, you know, process, you know, we made it a priority that the kids write an essay um, describing if they could change one thing in the world, you know, for a day, what would they change? And the kids just, you know, you just see their heart and how pure it was just with their answers about, you know, helping the homeless or, or um, curing cancer, um, things of that nature. And so, um, you know, it was a fun way, um, but it really just got to see um, the kids' heart, you know, how they want to help the world, how they want to impact the world even if it's just for a day. So uh, I think that was a cool way that allowed us to, you know, pick the kids um, to come to the to camp this weekend. It's a really terrific way to make a selection. What, what if you had to answer that question yourself? What's the one thing that you're trying to impact or change most in the world? Um, well, um, unfortunately for me, I've known people um, victim of cancer. And so um, if I could cure it in one day um, and, and save, save all those lives, I would. Um, my grandmother and her her sisters all you know died of breast cancer so that's something that's close to my heart um, that's something that I would do um, I think that would you know greatly affect you know our human population and so um, you know finding a cure for that is something that you know I will put my effort towards as I you know get older and as my career goes goes further and um, that's something that's just close to my heart. Speaking of your career, you just wrapped up, uh, you know, your first round in the NBA playoffs. I mean, you had 13 games, didn't go the way you wanted. I mean, you guys lost in seven games to Toronto. But what was it like to be a rookie and to be able to gain that experience in the postseason, playing along guys like alongside guys like Dwayne Wade? How much does that help you moving forward into your sophomore season? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people around the league, um, former players, um, coaches, you know, everyone told me that, you know, um, I had a very special season for a rookie just because of my role and, um, you know, how far we went in the playoffs. But for me, it was all I know. You know, that's all I know of the NBA. And so the fact that I was able to have a have a pretty big role and um, start playoff games, you know, for, for my team, I think that's going to help me um, down the line. Just that experience, you know, most high draft picks go to, you know, sub 500 teams or teams that are rebuilding. So for me, fortunately enough, um, end up falling to 10. But it really was a blessing in disguise, um, and, and now I'm you know, on a winning team, a winning culture, and uh, I've got so much more experience than probably 
95% of, of other rookies, and so I think that'll help me um, understand the importance of every detail, understand the importance of taking care of your body or game planning or um, knowing guys' tendencies in, in the playoffs. And so I feel like I kind of got an upper hand um, on other guys as far as experience. I don't want to generalize rookies in the NBA, but it seems that when you are a one-and-done player in college that it's mostly because of your offensive ability. And I think that that kind of carries over to the NBA, whereas for you, it's it's almost a little bit different. Eric Spolstra trusted you so much with your defensive ability that he put you up against LeBron James and James Harden. What does that say for you in, in, in terms of emphasizing uh, strong defense and to be able to play and defend stars of the game like that? Um, I think it speaks to um, my ability to mentally process things. Um, just from a young age, I was always playing up against older guys, and so uh, my body wasn't quite there yet, um, but mentally I had to be able to pick things up quicker to, to stay level with the, with the older guys. And so um, I think that's something that, um, you know, through college, um, Coach K really helped me um, process things faster, understand game plans, and. Um, you know, we made it to national championship, won a national championship, so we understood what it took to win. And so I think that was the biggest thing once I got to Miami is find ways to make winning plays and, you know, you'll find a way to be on the court. And I think um, my coaching staff saw that, you know, in summer league and in early practices. And, um, you know, I found a way to just, you know, a lot of times just being out there in the game in the fourth quarters, tight games. And um, just defensively, um, you know, that's probably one of the hardest part about the league. You know, offense is easy, everyone wants to play it, but defensively you really got to think, you got to communicate, call up picks, talk, um, understand coverages, understand people's tendencies, whereas offense it's more instinctual, you know, kind of playing off each other. But defense um, is a little bit more of a stress mentally, and I think um, that's something that I've been you know, very good at so far in my career. You've played against some of the best offensive players in the league. Obviously, you're the guy that is assigned to take them there. I wonder who do you really get up for? Who's the guy that you know is going to be a challenge that you really look forward to defending and shutting down? Um, well, I grew up a, a huge Rockets fan, so playing against James Harden was, um, you know, something I was really looking forward to, um, and that was a lot of fun. But just the, the top guys, all the top guys, um, Kevin Durant, Paul George, LeBron. Um, guys that you know went to Duke, played at Duke, um, but I just get excited. I love the opportunity. I embrace the challenge, and so um, when I see those really, you know, those elite players, you know, names come up on the schedule, um, you know, you get you get really anxious. You get excited, but the biggest thing in those situations for me is just to settle in. You know, don't make it you know too big of a deal. You know, they're still basketball players. They're still human. Um, they got a really a good amount of you know, rare human ability, um, but uh, just, just settle in and, and treat them just like any other player. Um, but just remember, you know, they're going to make tough shots um, and stay you know, level-headed throughout. Now that you're done with your first Invitational Clinic, can you talk about the highlights? Uh, what memories did you have with the kids? Um, probably the best memory was, you know, the defense drill. You know, we um, were all slapping the floor, screaming, um, I love defense, and um, we all really enjoyed that one, diving on the floor, that sort of thing. But just seeing the kids' energy, you know, um, I don't think they were prepared to, to work this hard, but once they saw my involvement and, and the coaches, you know, being great at each station, they really got into it. 
um, and they've been working hard, having fun. So I think those are the biggest two things, just seeing them have fun, you know, smiling, but, you know, working hard all at the same time. Back to the NBA, there's a lot of parity in the league. Uh, the Heat would actually be the only team, I think, in the last seven years to win multiple championships. So just organizationally, structurally, uh, what's it like being a part of that Miami Heat organization, and how do they rank, in your opinion, in terms of, you know, the organizations that are really getting it done, and what is it they're able to do effectively? Um, well, I think it's, a, it's a, a culture that they build over years. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you're seeing organizations across the league um, really start start to build that. Um, you have organizations like the Lakers, the Spurs, the Celtics, you know, those winning cultures. And over the past 15 or so years, you have the Heat. And you kind of see, honestly, with, with um, Golden State and the people they're bringing in as far as coaching staff, uh, players, you know, trainers, all those type of things, it's really becoming a, a first-class, you know, organization. I'm not just saying that because they're winning. But, um, you know, I think it's just everyone buying in, buying into the culture, buying into winning, um, sacrificing. But... Um, as far as winning cultures or winning organizations, you know, I, I would say the Spurs, Celtics, Lakers are, are always, you know, at that top level. You know, in football, you got, you know, really the Patriots um, as of late, um, you know, San Francisco, Giants, um, Red Sox. They, all, they have that, that winning culture, that, that history. And so I think um, when you have that, that history, people want to be a part of that. Uh, they see the spotlight and they see the fame and, and the history that can be made and, and people just want to be a part of that. So I think that's kind of what helps those those cultures continue to grow. Again, we're at St. John's High School here with Justice Winslow for his Invitational Clinic. And uh, Justice, uh, you just finished up your rookie year again. You've said you know that you want to be the face of the franchise eventually. Once you're done with this Invitational Clinic, what does the rest of the summer look like as you prepare for the 2016-2017 season? Um, well, um, next week it, it starts um, preparing for summer league and um, that pretty much goes through July, um, finish with some Team USA select team stuff um, at the end of July. But, you know, after that, take some time off, um, probably come back to Houston um, and enjoy some time with my family. But at the same time, continue to work, continue to get in shape and, um, you know, continue to try to prepare to, to take on a bigger role, take on you know, more um, muscle um, and, and um, prepare for, the, for my second season. You know, I'm prepared to take a, a huge leap. Um, next year as far as my role and my effectiveness on the court and so um, I'm extremely excited about it. All the great players are always adding to their game, you know, uh, taking to the next that next level. What is it that you're trying to work on this offseason specifically in terms of taking your game to that next level? Um, obviously um, shooting, you know, premier shooting, that's something that, um, you know, I understand that, that needs to get better, but um, really just, just body movement balance. I think um, as I'll be able to move better, I'll be able to do different things, more fluid on the court, and I feel like that will just carry into ball handling, shooting, and all those other things. So um, along with shooting, just being able to move better, um, and I, I think that will help me be more effective. Again, we're here at your basketball camp. If, if you've got kids that are kind of uh, you know developing their game right now and wanting to you know get to that high school team, get to that college team, what is one word of advice you would give them? Um, you know, I was, I was telling the kids out there today, you know, we're running the stadium stairs. I told them, um, you know, if it was easy, you know, everyone would do it. So it, it's going to suck. There's going to be times you, you want to quit, um, times you doubt yourself. But if it was easy, everyone would do it. Um, it it's hard for a reason. And, um, you know, it's fun. You got you to gotta learn to make it fun and, and enjoy the pain, enjoy the sweat, enjoy the, the tears, the, the sorrow, the losing. Um, you got to kind of love to go through that process and um, you know it's it's not easy it wasn't easy for me it won't be easy for them but if you learn to embrace the process then um, 
you know, you, you should be able to make it through. Well, Justice, we definitely appreciate you joining us this week on the, the Weekly Brew Podcast. And for those that are interested in following you during the summer, what is the best way for them to connect with you on social media? Um, my Twitter and Instagram handles are I am Justice. Um, I am J-U-S-T-I-S-E. Um, yeah, just tag me, tweet me, whatever you want to do. Um, and, you know, pretty much keep you up to date. All right. Well, Justice, we definitely appreciate it. Yep, no problem. Thank you. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is Bart Ennis, who works with Root Sports as a, as a reporter covering both the Rockets and Astros. And Bart, the Astros had the second best record in the American League since May 1st. And what has sparked the team to turn it around after a slow start in April? Pitching. I mean, it's pretty much as simple as that. I, I, I thought coming into this season that um, – the Astros were going to be as good as their pitching was going to be. Um, you know, Keiko and McHugh were such a huge part of what they accomplished last year. Those two guys needed to be those guys again um, if they were going to compete with the Rangers. And, you know, they got off to a slow start, and you saw what happened. Um, it's all about pitching for the Strohs because their offense is going to come and go the way they're structured, you know, a lot of strikeouts, some home runs, um, you know, teams like that, those sort of feast or famine offensive type of teams, they need good pitching. They need their pitching to be good and consistent, starters and bullpen, because they're going to have nights where they just don't hit those home runs and score those runs. So after a slow start, uh, their pitching has come around. Their bullpen is terrific, best in the American League. And, um, you know, Dallas Keuchel's starting to find it again, and Doug Fister has been a great surprise. So to me um, – if pitching that's come around after a tough start, that's made a huge difference. I think it's interesting you talk about Dallas Keuchel because uh, I was reading a Bill James quote about extreme ground ball pitchers aging badly, great for two years, and they blow up. Uh, something he wrote, the sabermetrician. So you, you see that Dallas Keuchel is actually coming around, not that uh, he may not be the guy he used to be? To be honest, his last four or five starts, he has been that guy. He's pitched exactly the way he did last year. But he gets the lowest run support of any, team, any, uh, any pitcher in the American League. And he's had instances where the guys playing behind him did not make plays. And, you know, his, he had a start a couple, you know, last week where they should have been out of an inning because they didn't turn a double play. They should have turned. It was in Tampa. And then the normally sure-handed Luis Valbuena let a ball kick off his glove at third base, and the inning was still alive. Well, it ended up being a five-run inning, and it should have been limited to one or two. So, you know, little things like that over the course of – uh, four or five starts really have kept him from getting the results that, you, that he should have had, judging from the way he pitched. Uh, you know, Dallas is he's a classic soft tossing lefty, and he's got very little room for error. But, um, you know, when he gets plays made behind him and when he gets a little run support, and he doesn't have to be absolutely perfect and shut somebody out, you know, to get a win, um, he is still a very good pitcher. You know, what he went through last year, I'm not sure he'll ever match that again. It was kind of an out-of-body experience season type for him. But um, he's good, and he is a tough, hard-nosed competitor. But, um, you know, the, the team has to help him out. He has to get the help. He has to get some run support, and they have to make plays behind him because he is going to induce a lot of ground balls. And when he does, they got to make those plays. But the, And just in terms of the way he's throwing – he looks a lot more right now like the guy we saw last year than he did his first four or five starts for sure. 
Now, just a few moments ago, you mentioned the success of the Astros bullpen. Again, uh, since May 1st, their ERA for the bullpen is 2.50, which is the best in the American League. And uh, we've seen a remarkable season by Will Harris. Uh, he's kind of been bumped into that ninth inning slot. Now, I don't want to call it a closer position because A.J. Hinch does not seem to want to give that a label. But how important has that bullpen been? I mean, you've seen Michael Feliz kind of emerge as, you know, o- almost unhittable since his first few outings. And uh, again, Giles is starting to turn it around. Uh, just how important has that pin been in providing stability at the back end of games? Well, it's been crucial. I mean, but, but, but look at the, the way you phrase that. I mean, since the, uh, you know, since the beginning of May, since the end of April, across the board, everybody on that team started poorly. Everybody. Uh, and even Fister. And I don't really know why that is, but they all sort of have managed to come out of it. But the bullpen, um, you know, be, because of the fact that uh, in mid to late April and early May, the starters really weren't going deep into games, and the bullpen was getting taxed. And when they were out there, they weren't really delivering. Um, but, you know, again, they have, they have found that form. Uh, Will Harris at times has been unhittable. But strangely enough, what I like about Will is that, you know, his last couple of outings haven't been that great, and yet he still managed to be successful. You know, um, you know I worked these games with Mike Stanton, who pitched in the big leagues for a decade. And he made a good point. He said, that's a sign of, of uh, maturity for Will Harris and a sign that he is, he's, he's gaining confidence in himself. When he's out there and things aren't going well, he's having a hard time throwing strikes, he's having a hard time getting outs on the pitch he usually gets outs on, uh, but he still finds a way to lock it down and, and be successful. That's a huge step in his growth. Police. Uh, you know, he, he had a rough start to the season, but I worked a game against the Indians where he came in and he just absolutely threw lights out. I mean, they couldn't touch him. And after that game, the, you know, A.J. and the rest of the coaches were made a point to approach Michael and tell him, that's the guy we need. That's who you are. You need to go out there and be that guy. Stop trying to be so fine. Stop trying to outthink hitters. Go out there and get them with your best stuff. And since that game... Police has been sensational. He, at some point, that kid may end up being in the starting rotation, and I'm talking maybe next season, or he may end up being their closer. I mean, he's got that kind of stuff. So he has been a real nice find for them. Um, and I would also say that, you know, Luke Gregerson had a rough stretch there, and maybe he's lost the closer role. I don't know. But even as a setup man, you know, if you, if you track Luke's con- career numbers, he is very good and very consistent. So what they've got out there are a bunch of arms, albeit 99% right-handed, that um, <laughs> they just come in, They come into the game and they throw, they throw strikes, man. They come in and they throw strikes. They don't walk people and they get outs. And before you know it, next thing you know, you look up and their ERA collectively is the best in the American League. So it's been a fun transformation to watch. And, and Tim Giles, I was worried about Giles at the beginning, but uh, again, he, like the rest of the team, has sort of found it after a rough start. It does seem like there's a lot to be optimistic about uh, recently, particularly that good week of work they had against the Angels and uh, a data point of interest there. They recorded their sixth walk-off win of the season, which was Carlos Correa's third walk-off uh, leading Major League Baseball. So is there any truth to the idea that some guys uh, thrive under pressure, or is that just an example of statistical clustering? Carlos Correa wants to be at bat with the game on the line. Jose Altuve wants to be at bat with the game on the line, you know. Uh, Springer probably feels the same way, but those are the guys that that you hope come up to bat in those situations. The rest of them, you know, 
Colby Rasmus, he has a long career. He's, he's come up uh, in clutch situations, and, and sometimes he performs, sometimes he doesn't. Uh, he's got a, kind of a complicated swing. He's always fastball hunting. But uh, they just, you know, offensively the Astros' situation is they need to stay away from as many strikeouts. And as you get deeper into the game and you get opportunities to get runners on or advance runners into scoring position, to have at bats that are completely unproductive and you don't even put the ball in play, uh, that becomes a huge problem. And that really was a daunting problem for them during their rough start. They were horrible with runners in scoring position. Way, 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 way too many strikeouts. Um, but the guys that were guilty of that have sort of snapped out of it a little bit. And the Astros have become a team that's capable of playing a little small ball if they have to. But more importantly, in late innings, 7th, 8th, and ninth innings, they're doing a better job of not only getting guys on, you know, walking, working counts to their favor uh, where they can get a decent pitch to hit and hitting it behind runners so they can advance. Those types of little fundamental things, um, they're doing all of that much better, whether it's Correa, Altuve, whoever. Uh, Gaddis isn't striking out as much. Rasmus isn't striking out as much. And, you know, all those little things add up. One of the guys that I was a little bit frustrated with at the start of the season was Carlos Gomez. The Astros signed him last year during the All-Star, or right at the trade deadline, and, uh, you know, I I believe a lot of Astros fans just didn't see the ROI, you know, the return on investment, but he went on the disabled list in May, and, you know, since he's come back his last, what, 15 games, he's hitting over 300, he's got two doubles, three home runs, nine RBI. I mean, what is it that just, I mean, did a light switch just go off for him? Well, I think you know, he, had, he did have a rib cage injury that he suffered uh, slamming into an outfield wall. And he tried to play through it. You know, nobody ever talked about it. They didn't want to make any excuses for him. Um, but that did affect his swing. It affected his ability to extend his arms. And it affected his ability to hit the ball with power. But more than anything, Carlos just needed to get away from that clubhouse and the team for a few days and sort right. of reset. And that, that injury allowed him to do that. They sent him down to Corpus. He went down there and just, you know, healed up. And when it was time to play, get in the lineup and play and, you know, practice things like I just said, like not such a wild swing where you're swinging for the fence every time you swing the bat. Try to put the ball in play. Try to hit the ball up the middle. Try to hit the ball the opposite way. You know, that keeps your bat in the hitting zone longer and you're going to make better contact and cut down on the strikeouts. So that little trip down to Corpus paid huge dividends for Carlos because he came back with a better approach, a better attitude. Um, and, you know, once his teammates saw that, uh, that improved the situation inside the clubhouse. It just made everything better. Um, everybody was frustrated with Carlos's um, strikeout totals and just some of the way he seemed to be just out of control at times. And so, they, they you know, they got it fixed. They got him reined in. And now he's a bit under more – under control and um, still plays a real good center field. I mean, the Astros have their defensively, their outfield is as good as anybody in the majors. So that part of his game is still there. Never went, never went away. But uh, offensively, I think he's in a better place mentally. He's a little bit more under control. He doesn't feel like he has to hit the ball, you know, out of the ballpark or deep into the gaps every time he steps up into the batter's box. And that's helped. 
So uh, Jeff Lunau, uh, back when the Astros were 17 and 28, uh, said basically that at this point in the season, we can't be so far back that we can't catch up. As long as we're back to 500 by mid-June, we should be in pretty good shape. And then went on to say that we have too much talent uh, to be at the level they were. So, I mean, do you think that at this point, macrocosmically, do they have it turned around? Are they in a good position to at least make a run for the wild card and have some chance at uh, being, making some noise in the playoffs? Absolutely. They can absolutely make a run at the wild card. And, um, you know, the, the the 500 thing, that's just a – Phil Garner used to talk about being 500 as um you know, they had those weird seasons in 04 and 05 where they got up to such horrible starts and had just mind-boggling second halves. And Garner used to tell the guys all the time, let's just get to 500, all right? Let's just set our sights on getting to 500. Once we get there, then we can recalibrate our goals, reset them, and start moving forward. But no no team that's under 500 is going to make have a chance of sniffing the playoffs. So you have to get there first. So they've gotten there. And now here we are closing in on the end of June, and their pitching, like I say, is so much better, and that's really the key. And you look around at the other wild card possibilities in the American League, and none of them are significantly better than the Astros. There's no reason the Astros right. shouldn't be in that wild card. So I, I don't like their chances to really make a hard run at Texas for the division just because Texas is so good and so deep, uh, although they've suffered some setbacks here with injuries to their pitching staff. Um, you know, I wouldn't completely give up on or discount a run at the division title. But, boy, it would take some great baseball between now and the end, and the Rangers will have to come back to attack a little bit. But a wild card, that's absolutely in play, yeah. Yeah, let's hope the Astros can uh, kind of reel in the Rangers a little bit and at least beat them in October when it counts. But, uh, Bart, you actually kind of have, uh, I don't know, like a family legacy when it comes to sports broadcasting and, and careers. If for those that aren't familiar, uh, Bart's father, Bill, uh, you worked the sidelines for NBC's broadcast of Super Bowl V and Super Bowl Seven, and you grew up in the Houston area, uh, you know, spending a lot of time covering uh, sports in the city. What kind of impact did your dad have on your career, and do you still carry that with you, you know, with Root Sports and kind of your day-to-day job right now? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. You know, I grew up, um, it was weird because uh, two weeks ago when we had Muhammad Ali and Gordie Howe both die just a couple of days apart, I couldn't help but think back to being a kid, and um, when Muhammad Ali came to Houston to fight Jimmy Ellis in the Dome, I believe it was 1970, uh, my dad, who was the sports director at Channel 2 at that time, took me and my brother to the press conference and I got to meet Muhammad Ali as a 10 year old kid. And I was just, wow. just un- blown away by how huge he it was and how huge his hands were. He shook my hand, almost took my whole arm in his hand. <laughs> and then, and then later in later years, four years after that, uh, Gordy Howe came here to play with the arrows and, uh, I got to meet Gordy and actually got to skate around the ice a little bit with him because I became good friends with, uh, the arrows, coach's son, Peter Deneen, who is now an assistant coach in the NHL. But Peter would take me to practice, and we would skate around before the players came out. And I got to meet Gordy and got to know him. And um, Gordy Howe was as good a human being as you'd ever want to meet. Didn't play that way on the ice all the time. <laughs> but in terms of being a nice man, just a genuinely nice man, uh, Gordy was as good as it gets. After my dad passed away, Gordy was one of the first ones to call my mom, personally call her and tell her how much, you know, he admired Dad and wanted to know if she was okay and all this other stuff. Just a real sweetheart of a guy. But that kind of stuff, you know, I grew up going to Houston Oilers training camps with my dad as a kid, and I was just always around it. And so um, when it became clear to me that I wasn't going to be big enough or fast enough to actually play in the NFL, (laughs) um, I decided that that would be a good way to sort of stay in touch with sports because, you know, I'm just a 
frustrated jock at heart like most of us are. And um, it was a good way to to stay in touch and and make a living doing something I love to do. I think I'm more of a frustrated nerd than a frustrated jock personally, but I certainly identify with that. But, uh, you know, we're big fans of Root uh, here on the show. We had uh, Julia Morales in episode 43. We had Kevin Eschenfelder episode 46. We love the work that you guys do. And and from my perspective, there's something a little different about watching a Root broadcast of one of the local teams, uh, kind of a a, a more uh, local, uh, intimate flavor, if you will. I'm just curious, from your perspective, what's different about working those games and putting on those productions that are more locally tied to the team that you guys uh, cover? Well, it's a, it's a challenge because, you know, none of us want to be homers. Um, but at the same time, we understand we're broadcasting the game to specifically fans of these teams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not going to go out of our way to be, you know, abnormally harsh either, uh, even if they deserve it. So, um, after all, I mean, let's, let's, let's face facts. You know, we want viewers to want to watch these teams because when they watch the teams, they're watching us. So, you know, we, we walk that fine line. We, we don't, we're, we're never going to um, check our objectivity at the door and just go, oh, gee, you know, the Rockets could win the championship this year or something like that. We're never going to do that. Um, Unlike us. So, well, I mean, I'm just being honest. You know, um, we're not going to make predictions like that at the beginning of the season. Um, frankly, I thought when SI came out, I said, oh, the Astros are going to win the World Series. I thought, really? Based on you know, one good season, I think sometimes we all get caught up in that. And you have to understand, all my years of doing this, one thing I've learned is every year teams start over from scratch. I mean, the the chemistry and, and the all the great things the Rockets had going on at the end of the uh, 14-15 season, but once they started the next season with pretty much the same personnel, none of that mattered. Didn't you ever find yourself asking that question? Oh, yeah. It's pretty, pretty much the same team. Why aren't they playing the same way? Mm-hmm. All my years in the business tell me it's because they're not robots. They're human beings. And, you know, over the course of several months off, they're going to lose that chemistry. They're going to lose that, you know. And, and I said so much on the air. That's the great thing about Root is that they, you know, they want us to, to be honest without being you know, unnecessarily harsh as sometimes we see in sports broadcasting these days when it's so much about opinion. I like working with guys like Bill Worrell and Bill Brown and some of the others who were kind of old school, who, don't, who, who still work games, not so much on social media, but on games. We all view the game as the story. We're not the story. And what we think isn't the story. The game is the story. And we call the games as we see them. And if teams deserve to be criticized, then we criticize them. If they don't, then we don't. Even if they do, we don't do it in a harsh way. Um, so we do walk that fine line, and our station management recognizes that, and they appreciate that. Um, you know, we're owned by AT&T now, so this is a massive <laughs> corporate entity now that owns us. And so there's been some adjustment to getting back to being owned by a you know, big corporate behemoth. But for the most part, it has been a smooth transition, and AT&T has been great. So they let us; they just leave us alone pretty much and let us cover the city and the teams the way we have because it's always worked, whether it was Fox Sports Southwest or CSN or whatever. Uh, we pretty much have the same people doing the same job, so we must be doing something right. 
Bart, uh, it's it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you. And you know, speaking of uh, you know the same guys doing work for many years, uh, Brownie is just celebrating his uh, 30th anniversary covering Astros games. So uh, it's great to see that consistency of uh, you know great journalists and broadcasters covering the team. And uh, we definitely appreciate the work that you do on Root Sports. And for those that want to follow you on TV, uh, what is the best way for them to I guess connect with you on social media and also to tune into Root uh, to follow you? Is it is it pregame coverage, postgame coverage, or sideline or what does your schedule look like yeah it's a little bit of everything um during rocket season i'm primarily the rocket sideline reporter i don't do a lot, much hosting of the pre and post game shows um during baseball season i'm doing a little bit of everything from you know working for julia when she has to have time off there's nobody can work 162 games um I'll work for her or I'll work for Kevin. You know, it's summer and we all have to take our vacation at some point. So uh, during baseball season, I'm wearing several hats. Uh, during basketball season, I'm pretty much just sideline reporter. So um, that's where they can find me. I'm doing, uh, we do a weekly magazine show called Rockets All Access that I host. And uh, we all sort of take turns hosting our Astros weekly show, which is called Bases Loaded. So that's really the best way. I mean, I'm on I'm on Twitter, and if they want to speak to me there, they can. Although people that follow me on Twitter are often disappointed because I don't tweet that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for those that are interested in following Bart, you can do so by just uh, searching Bart NSRS on Twitter, and also you can follow Root Sports on Twitter. Just search Root Sports SW. And Bart, we definitely appreciate you uh, taking the time and joining us this week on the Weekly Brew Podcast, and uh, we look forward to uh, chatting with you again soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your time. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. While the Astros are one of the hottest teams in the American League since May 1st, much of their success is due to the ongoing development success on the farm system. From the Tri-City Valley Cats to the Fresno Grizzlies, uh, the Astros system is just oozing with top flight prospects. And joining us now on the Weekly Brew podcast to discuss the future of the Astros is Jimmy Price, who is the owner and founder of Astros Future. And Jimmy, thanks for joining us this week. And for those that aren't familiar with your work, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the origins of Astros Future? Sure. Uh, you can check me out on my website, AstrosFuture.com, or on Twitter, at AstrosFuture. I've um, just been a big fan of the minor league system for a long time. I enjoyed minor league baseball, obviously a big Astros fan. Started on Twitter, decided to make my own site, and so far it's been pretty successful. Uh, just doing minor league recaps and highlighting other prospects and interviews and things like that. So I'm curious, I mean, how much minor league baseball do you watch and consume? Because you are on top of literally everything. We're big fans of, uh, of the work that you put out. And we follow you religiously for, for Astros Farm League updates. But just how much do you take in on a weekly basis? And I guess where does that love of minor league baseball come from? Um, I guess it kind of started, you know, when the Astros were not very good three, four years ago, and they are trading off guys, getting prospects back, and thinking, okay, this is going to be – these are the guys we need to watch to know who's coming up within the next few years. So um, always been a fan of it, even even back when they were good in the, the early to mid-2000s. But just more recently with social media, it's a little easier to, to get into it. Um, but just MILB.TV is a great place to watch it. Uh, the, the Hooks, the Grizzlies – Quad cities are on there sometimes, but it's usually double A, triple A for sure. Their their games are telecast. Uh, other than that, it's just on game day. I, I live about three or four hours away from Corpus, so I usually try to take take at least a few trips down there to see uh, the Hooks play. And as we know, that's one of the one of the most talented teams the Astros have, and it's been that way for the last few years. But uh, just that, and, you know, keeping up with the box scores and and Twitter is obviously a good place. You know, the the team's social media, um, the social media people do a, a great job of. of keeping people up to date on what's going on in the game. So 
um, just that. And it's obviously it's, it's time consuming because the Valley Cats start at six and the Grizzlies usually don't until about midnight. So about six hours a night. Yeah, we'll dive into some of those other teams here in just a moment. But uh, kind of dealing with the Major League Baseball draft, it took place in early June. Uh, Forrest Whitley, a guy out of San Antonio, big body, big arm. Uh, he was the Astros' top pick, and you know he officially signed with the Astros just uh, a, f- a few days ago. What can you tell us uh, about his workload during the summer and you know where the Astros are going to put him on his development track? Are they going to limit his innings, limit his work, or uh, kind of get the ball rolling next spring and let him kind of relax this summer? What does that look like? Yeah, just based on the press conference, it sounds like he's going to go to the Gulf Coast League Astros, which is where most of the uh, high school draftees go after after they sign. Uh, it sounds like his work, workload is going to be pretty limited. As you mentioned, he's a, a very big guy. He throws in the mid-90s, uh, but, you know, high school arms coming out, you just you got to be careful with him. You don't want to overwork him, especially at such a young age, 18 years old. So he'll probably get a few professional innings, maybe somewhere in the range of 15 to 20 innings, and then he'll, if, if everything goes well, hopefully start full season ball next season. So Bregman's obviously one of the guys a lot of people are talking about in terms of the Astros. And uh, Lunau recently said he's played really well in double-A. And I think there's always going to be some hiccups, whether it's in triple-A or the big leagues. But he's certainly done about as well as any player could coming out of last year's draft. So just based on what you've seen, uh, how do you rate his progress and progression so far? And when can we expect to see him at the major league level? Uh, his progression has been fantastic. Uh, you know, they're really aggressive with him last year. He got assigned to Lancaster the same year he was drafted, which is pretty much unheard of for the Astros. Then they put him after only 66 minor league games. He's already in double-A starting this year. Uh, and he came out of the gate firing on all cylinders, was, was destroying the double-A, uh, you know, or Texas League. Uh, he struggled a little bit, which is which is nice to see. You want to see a guy struggle and see how he responds. And he struggled a little bit and then came back and got back to where he was. Uh, probably the most impressive thing is he, he's putting the bat on the ball. He's got 35 walks to 25 strikeouts in 58 games. And uh, Astros fans know that the, the strikeouts have been a problem for us for the last couple of years. And, He's a guy who could come up and, and, you know, get on base and he's not going to strike out a ton. Um, I think most people think he's probably ready for AAA, but they got a really good ball club in Corpus, and, and he also made the all-star roster. So I, I'm thinking maybe Jeff Luna wants him to experience the, you know, the all-star. I mean, he earned it, obviously. Maybe wants him to, uh, to play in the all-star game. Uh, but it's, it, it, last year they had already called up Correa by this point. Bregman has done basically what you would want at an older age than Correa was at the time dominated double-A just like Correa did. I guess since there's no uh, hole that needs to be filled, last year Lowry was hurt, so we didn't have one at New West shortstop, so it's easy to bring up Correa. This year it's a little harder because Valbuena's picked it up, and Bregman's played some third, but Valbuena's been actually one of the Astros' better hitters for the last uh, last month or so. Uh, I would think after the uh, Texas League All-Star game, he'll probably end up going up to triple-A for a little bit, and um, I don't think he'll be there long if, if a spot opens up where he can play consistent. They're not going to bring him up to be a bench bat like Tony Kemp, but if a spot opens up, uh, he's a guy that could come up, and I'm sure he could have an immediate impact. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing him play. I mean, he was phenomenal to watch when he was at LSU, and he's made such an impact in the Texas League. And uh, speaking of the Texas League, I mean, we see so much attrition in minor league baseball from guys getting promoted to guys, you know, being cut. Uh, but Rodney Linares, the you know the reigning Texas League Manager of the Year, uh, he's done a phenomenal job with the Corpus Christi Hooks, and uh, you know they dominate year in and year out. And you know, despite a slow start this year, I think they started what nine and twelve. They've been on a roll as of late. Uh, they won thirty nine of their next fifty games, and what is it about the hooks, you know, that makes them so good year in and year out? And can you see uh, Rodney Linares as a potential candidate himself to earn a promotion in the Astros organization? Uh, within the Astros organization, I think that's going to be tough. I think he's probably on a, a pretty short list of, you know, uh, uh, the the managerial openings when they come up this off season to to maybe manager or uh, manage at the major league level. 
as you said, he's been fantastic everywhere he's gone so far in the Astros system. Uh, the Hooks have just had a, a talented team, and a lot, you know, a lot of your top prospects are going through Double A. Um, they have the last few years, like you said, a 39 and 11 in a 50 game stretch is pretty incredible. Uh, just but from what I can tell, he's got a, a real good rapport with the with the, uh, the players. You know, they play hard for him. Um, he just seems like he does everything right. A lot of people have a lot of respect for him. So I think the Astros are probably going to end up losing him to another managerial position somewhere in the MLB versus being able to promote him to AAA or something like that, um, which is kind of unfortunate, but, you know, it's good for him. He's, he's done what he's needed to do in the minors, and he's going to get his chance just like a top prospect will. As we kind of mentioned a minute ago, first base, a bit of a question mark for the Astros of the last several years. Um, we were reading your article that you put up on John Singleton, uh, who's struggled to hold on at the major league level, and whether or not he deserves another chance here in Houston. So you got guys like A.J. Reed, Tyler White. Uh, are we going to see Singleton back up here, or uh, can we expect the Astros to use him as a potential trade piece? I thought he was going to receive another chance, especially with Tyler White struggling after the first two weeks of the season. But they went ahead and sent Tyler White down, and now we're, we're seeing a platoon at first with a little bit of Valbuena, a little bit of Marlon Gonzalez. And, and Gonzalez, like I mentioned earlier, Valbuena's been hitting well, but Gonzalez is hitting very well too. Singleton has struggled with the average this year at AAA. It's obviously not where you want to see it. But his, his walks are still good. His strikeouts are there. He's still hitting for some power. I would, I'd like to give him – he's only 24 years old. He's obviously a former top first-base prospect in all of baseball. I would like to give him another chance and hope that maybe he's figured some things out. You know, we've seen the Astros – I don't want to say give up on guys too soon, but but give guy or uh, you know let guys go who aren't aren't producing, and then they go on to another team and produce. And Singleton, I mean, I, I think he probably deserves another chance. I don't know if he will get that with the Astros right now, especially with them trying to you know they're back over 500 now, trying to make a push to the division. You don't want to bring him up and him hit you know 170 again and striking out 35 percent of his plate appearances. Um, so I would like to see him get another chance, but at, really at this point, there's no you don't have to to rush to move him. He signed that contract for for five years. I think this is the third year of that deal. So I mean, there's no rush to move him. If someone is willing to give up uh, good value for him, then maybe maybe you know uh, possibly trade him. But at this point, I mean, he can sit in AAA for another two years and just be there just in case. Uh, there's there's no rush to to you know to move him. He's not an intending free agent or anything like that. So. Um, I'd like to see him get a chance, but just the way things are going, I think they're kind of content with the Gonzalez-Cabuena platoon at first and then, you know, waiting on the what we believe is the future at first base and A.J. Reed, and he's getting a lot closer, too. Speaking of trade pieces, uh, you know, Singleton possibly on that trade block, are there other prospects right now in the system that you could see, you know, the Astros potentially dealing if they want, like, an arm or another bat in that lineup once we get closer to that July deadline? Yeah, the, the trades are always tough to take. You know, you trade a lot of a lot of talent they did last year and uh, or they did last year when they got Gomez and Fires. they did this offseason when they got Ken Giles we still have quite a bit of high level pitching at the you know the the upper minor level I uh in double a you got David Paulino who's dominating right now 22 years old then you got Francis Martez who's who's doing pretty well he's only 20 years old um I'd hate to see one of those guys go but just given you know the the guys we got at triple a too and the high potential of those guys they would be the ones that teams would be interested I'm almost at the point, though, now I don't see a glaring hole on the Astros that would need to be fixed. I mean, you could maybe say, a, 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 you know, a, a top starter, but we know the, how hard those are uh, to get, and, you know, you're going to have to give up a lot of that, especially at the trade deadline. Outfield has been kind of rough with Rasmus struggling, but I don't see them giving up on him, especially given his salary. They'll probably keep running out there, and, and he's a streaky hitter, so you would expect him to, to break out of that eventually. 
So I'm I'm in the boat. I'm hoping that they don't trade. They stick with what they got. And if we do want a, another starter, we do want another hitter, hopefully we'll promote from within. When I look specifically at the Astros rotation this year, I look at Doug Fister. He's been the most consistent starter that the Astros have had. In fact, the Astros have won his last 10 starts. Outside of him, the rotation hasn't been great. Dallas Keuchel struggled. Uh, McHugh is a little bit inconsistent. McCullers has struggled with walks. Uh, so I look toward the minor league system. We've got a lot of talent there. You've got, you know, Martez, Musgrove, and even Feliz, who right now is in the bullpen, but projects to be a long-term starter. Uh, but neither, none of those guys seem ready at the moment to move into that rotation. Uh, who could be a guy that could, you know, make that next step and to actually break through in that, you know, five-man rotation? Or, or are we going to see that this year, or are we just going to have to wait till 2017? I think the... Uh, most likely you're going to have to wait, unless if something happens like injury-wise. Um, Keiko and McHugh are going to get their start. McCullers, and he's still pitching well, even though the walks are up, but that's something he can work on, and, and I do think will get better. Fires has been inconsistent, but he'll go seven innings, allow one run, you know, one start, the next start, he gives up five or six runs the first two innings. But if, unless something happens to him, and then, you know, Fister's been, like you said, he's been fantastic this season, I don't see an opening. But if there was an opening, one guy to keep an eye on would be Brady Rogers, who the Astros drafted in 2012 out of Arizona State, uh, known as a, a good control guy. But this year at AAA, he's really kind of hit his stride and is pitching pitching really well. He's uh, he's throwing a complete game shutout. He's striking out about a batter in inning, and he's barely walking anyone. He's in, I think, ERA now is at 2.99 in AAA in the Pacific Coast League, which is a pretty good hitter's league. So he's a guy that could potentially come up. Musgrove has struggled a little bit in AAA, but his, his peripherals are still good. He's still not walking anyone. He's still striking guys out. He would be one. Uh, you know, we saw the Astros promote from AA last year when McCullers, well, he technically got promoted to AAA, didn't pitch that all there, and then went straight up to the pros. Um, David Paulino, he's already on the 40-man roster, and he's dominating AA right now, pretty much to the same extent that McCullers was last year, except he's had more AA innings now. He's a guy that could potentially come up. It wouldn't you wouldn't have to clear a forty man you know roster spot to bring him up. He's already there, um, but he's he's dominated double A. He's and he's he's definitely putting himself into uh, probably top fifty prospect category with his performance this year. Again, we have Jimmy Price on, who is the uh, the founder and owner of Astros Future. And uh, Jimmy, I mean, you absolutely killed it. I mean, I love talking Astros and especially the minor league system and looking to the future because, you know, back in uh, 08 and 09 through essentially 2012, that's all we had. Uh, and, you know, I think you do an amazing job of covering it. And if you don't follow him already, go ahead and check him out at Astros Future on Twitter. Uh, he's constantly providing updates, you know, whether it's from the minor league system or, uh, you know, even watching the Astros game. But, uh, Jimmy, we are kind of at the midsummer right now. We're post uh, MLB draft and uh, you're kind of reevaluating pros- uh, prospects now on your website. Uh, what is the best way for people to, I guess, follow your work, whether it be on social media and what do you have coming down the pipeline on your website? Yeah. You know, follow me on, uh, on Twitter at Astros feature. I also have a Facebook page. We post that face on there. That's just facebook.com slash Astros feature. And then the website Astros You can subscribe. And uh, twice a week, I send out a newsletter basically with the, the, the previous posts that have been posted. Uh, usually contains about six, seven posts. Um, but coming up recently, we uh, we're, we've, we redid our top 30 prospects. Yesterday we did, we released 30 through 21. Today was 20 through 11. Tomorrow will be the top 10. Um, and then after that, we're just going to you know continue putting out prospect profiles, and, and we'll have some more stuff coming down the line. But obviously we're excited to, to release the, the top prospect list. I know a lot of people enjoy that, and the Astros top 10 is probably one of the best top 10 in the in the and the minor leagues, uh, whole minor leagues, which is really impressive considering the talent we have at the major league level. So uh, Jeff Luno has done a fantastic job rebuilding the system and, and restocking, you know, getting 
drafting well, making good trades. Um, so it just makes the future bright, and uh, it, it's probably a pretty good time to be an Astros fan. Yeah, it's definitely making those years of uh, you know kind of uh, disappointment finally paying off right now to see the success the club is having, and we hope the Astros can make a, a push this year uh, to get in the playoffs and also make a push to that World Series. But again, we have Jimmy Price on uh, from Astros Future, and uh, Jimmy, we appreciate your time. All right, appreciate it, guys. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Last week on the podcast, we covered the epic Game 7 of the NBA Finals, which LeBron James fulfilled his promise by bringing home an NBA title to the championship-starved town of Cleveland, Ohio. Now with the NBA season over and the NBA draft behind us, we want to welcome our next guest onto the show, and that's Anand Pandian, who covers the NBA for CBS Sports. Anand, thanks for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, we were absolutely enthralled with the Cavs' comeback after riding them off ahead of Game 5, and what was your reaction after witnessing the Cavs' historic comeback, and how does this impact the Cavs and Warriors as we head into the 2016-2017 season? Initial reaction was shock. I was pretty much in shock as soon as Kyrie hit that three. And then there was like 10 seconds left. I was like, oh, the Warriors, the Warriors are going to make a shot. The Warriors are going to make a shot. <laughs> and then that didn't happen. And then the finals was about it. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, I think that series also showed how great LeBron is as a player. Um, I'm sure he's still going to get some negative criticism throughout his career. But that just showed, you know, like, he is LeBron James. He is, like, the greatest basketball player in the NBA right now, or as he likes to say, as he likes to say in the world. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, it was a great finals. It was great to have that finals immediately after the, the Western Conference finals, which was also great. Um, and then as far as your moving forward question, I guess now the big question is, is the Warriors going to get Durant? That's going to change everything. That's a fair question. I mean, I think it's it's everybody's wondering what Kevin Durant does, and I, I guess my money would be on that he stays with Oklahoma City, uh, given what they accomplished this season and, and his role there on the team. But just what's your feeling, kind of uh, within you know the national media in terms of where Durant might be leaning, the, the interviews he's taking right now? What do you think in, ultimately ends up happening with Durant? Yeah, I would have said the same thing as you. You know, I feel like he's going to end back in OKC. Seems like he's really happy there, and you know, he is the number one star. But then again, he is meeting with these teams, so uh, he's definitely, I guess, going to enjoy this free agency process and see what teams have to say to him. I don't know, it's still, it's still tough because, you know, we don't know exactly what he's thinking. Obviously, if he goes to the Warriors, they're championship contender yet again, but even more so if he stays with the Thunder, championship contender as well, and they made that nice trade the other day. No, no, no. It's just still, it's still so up in the air. But right now, it seems like he is at least listening to other teams. So the most interesting thing that's happened this week, I guess, since the championship uh, is over and the season's over, would be the draft, of course. Although I think it was one of the lowest-rated drafts in the past few years. Um, not a lot of surprises there. Simmons first, Ingram second. Probably the player I'm most interested in would be uh, Dragon or Dragon, however you say his name, Bender, that was taken fourth there. Uh, just kind of looking at the top few draft picks there, who's going to make the most immediate impact in the NBA that we'll see, and then who's going to have maybe the longest and best career out of those guys that were taken in the early rounds? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like Simmons is definitely going to make impact, especially since he's playing the Sixers where he's going to, you know, have a large role right away. Uh, probably probably going to be the starting lineup. So he'll probably make the biggest impact right away. Um, long term, that's a good question. Um, I feel like Chris Dunn could be pretty good. Everybody was pretty high on him and kind of shocked that he fell to the Timberwolves, even though he really fell like maybe one or two spots. Um but also, I feel like Simmons as well. I mean, you know, he's he was the number one pick for a reason. Everybody's really high on him, and everybody, you know, he has he has a ton of potential. So I think he could probably last for a while, be a, you know, 
multiple-time all-star type of guy. So the Rockets didn't have uh, any first-round picks, but they did take two big guys in the second round. Maybe most notably would be Ono Aku out of Louisville, who shoots uh, free throws underhanded, which has been getting most of the press in terms of the uh, Rockets draft. But with Dwight Howard becoming a free agent, uh, are the Rockets kind of signaling he's definitely done here? Those are the guys are going to move forward with Clint Capella and two young centers. Um, what, uh, what's your impression of what's going to happen with Dwight Howard's free agency and how those guys might impact the Rockets this season? Um, as far as how those guys might impact, I don't know. They're rookies. Um, the Chinese guy, I don't know if he's even going to really get a ton of minutes. Um, but, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how Capella does in a larger role. I feel like Dwight's going to leave. I mean, what, what do you guys think? He, you know, the Rockets asked him not to opt out, but that he did. Um, yeah, what, what do you guys think about that? I, I think he's I, definitely I, gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he seems like, you know, he could obviously get probably more money if he stays in Houston, but it seems like he's just just not happy so you know he wants to be happy somewhere so i feel like he's gonna leave that's what everybody's basically saying as well and he's not really given any hints of staying in houston yeah i'm not sure that he plays well with uh mike d'antoni and i think uh that's the key point they want you know a team that uh, isn't afraid to run and i think dwight howard wants to have that uh be the feature of the offense, which I don't think the Rockets are ever going to allow. But uh, one of my questions for you is, I'm a Baylor alum, and so one of the guys that I was happy to see drafted was Tarian Prince, uh, a power forward out of Baylor. He was drafted uh, by the Utah Jazz, ultimately traded to the Atlanta Hawks. But I'm curious, he's got a huge 6'8 frame. He can shoot from the outside. He's freakishly athletic. Uh, what do you think about him fitting into that Atlanta mix? Truth be told, I'm not the biggest college basketball guy. I usually try cram right before the draft. So, um, you know, the main thing I know about him is his, uh, his little rebounding post-game talk where he talked about how he got a rebound. Uh, but, yeah, you know, just based on his size and his skill level and his athleticism, I feel like he fits into that um, Hawks mold, especially what Coach Bud likes to use, you know, kind of, uh, kind of like hybrid type four guys. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. He's another guy, though. I feel like the Hawks don't really play rookies as much. Um, so we'll see if he gets minutes. But, um, I bet you he's going to probably be one of those guys who has like a monster summer league, I bet. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to see him uh, develop. He was a guy that was a uh, two-star recruit out of high school and uh, was kind of a last-minute addition to the Bears signing class, uh, basically because the spot opened up after Quincy Miller uh, declared for the NBA draft. But, uh, you know, speaking of NBA draft, hopefully some of these guys can impact not only the league, but, uh, you know, say 2020 for the Olympics. But speaking of the Olympics, I mean, we've got 2016 coming up in Rio de Janeiro, and it seems like almost every major NBA star is just bowing out. I mean, Steph Curry, Chris Paul, James Harden, LeBron James is rumored to be out. And, uh, you know, Bradley Beal with that with that situation bowing out the other day. Uh, what is going on with Team USA? Are they actually going to win gold in Rio? Or is this just much concern about nothing? Yeah, I think it's much concern about nothing. I mean, <laughs> you can't tell me a team with Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Durant, Paul George, um, DeMarcus Cousins, all, all these guys are going to not win gold. I mean, you know, Spain is probably the biggest comp- comp- uh, opposition. Um, but, I don't know, Kevin Durant's really good. Carmelo Anthony's really good. You know, all these guys are still stars. But sure, they don't have Steph Curry. They don't have Harden and guys like that. Um, yeah, LeBron also said he's not going to play. But there's still, there's still so much star power. And I think it was, you know, at first I, I was like, oh, when, when Steph said he's not going to do it, I was like, ah, oh, man, I, I thought it was going to be a lot of fun to watch him, like, you know, bomb away on an international setting. But, you know, now it kind of gives options uh, – for new guys, like we'll see how Lowry does at the Olympics. We'll see how um, I guess Harrison Barnes got selected today. We'll see how he does. It'll, it'll be cool, kind of interesting to see, like you know, these guys who aren't getting the most star power here. 
see how they do on Olympic stage. I, I think there was a time when playing for your country, at least in this country, was uh, was such an honor that it almost couldn't be turned down. And then we see in this wide swath of guys that are big name guys turning it down. It doesn't seem like it's as much of a duty uh, anymore. Is there is there not that same sense of uh, of valor or of playing representing your country, um, or is it actually uh, might it be like the Zika virus and all the concerns about the Brazil Olympics? What's what's leading to all these people turning it down? Yeah, I think a lot. Of, well, you know, all the names we mentioned, Steph and LeBron. Um, I guess even LaMarcus Aldridge, they kind of have lengthy playoff runs, so they feel like they need to rest and recuperate from their long season, which is fair. And I think I think the Zika virus may play to some of those guys' decisions. But, yeah, it is interesting, especially, like, you know, that one year, uh, was it 2008 when they lost and they got bronze, and then it was like a big, uh, you know, Colangelo stepped in and tried to – well, he did. He did, like, you know, kind of reinvent the system, make it more, like you said, a, a duty to play for your country, and a lot of guys are, like, really part of that. Um, but I think, you know, like, especially with LeBron, Chris Paul, those guys were there when that happened, and now they're kind of they're not near the end of their careers, but they're definitely near the end of their international career, so they are thinking different things. They've, like, been there, done that type of deal. But, you know, kind of like I said, with Lowry, guys like Harrison Barnes, these guys, these new guys, they're obviously – amped to play so it'll be cool to see how they do and they'll probably carry on the tradition so one of the bigger stories here has been uh, the hiring of mike d'antoni as the coach in houston um he's a guy who has not had much recent success uh with the knicks and lakers but obviously was uh, well known for that, that phoenix offense uh, do you see him as fitting in well with today's nba is this a guy that we in houston can be excited about and is he a guy that's gonna be able to get us back to uh the western conference finals or, or maybe even the nba uh finals at some point in the near future and yeah, the Dan Tony hiring was a little bit interesting, especially since he didn't do that great in his last two stops. But I think, you know, he is, his, his offensive genius is, is, is that. He is, he is really smart when it comes to offense, and he has one of the best offensive players in the game with Harden. So I think that should be definitely something for Rockets fans to be excited about, like see how those two, you know, work together. And I'm sure he's going to have effect on a lot of other guys on their team. But that roster is also still, you know, evolving. So we don't know what's up with Dwight and Feliz. I'm sure they're going to get somebody to kind of fill that role and maybe just rely on those rookies and Capella. But um, it'll be interesting how their whole offseason kind of plays out because they may get more players who kind of fit D'Antoni's style. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, it was just an interesting hire because we don't know. And Phoenix, he just had, like, the perfect team, the perfect roster for him, and he was able to do whatever kind of he needed to do. And then – his other stuff didn't work out as much, but I don't know. I think you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. He does come with that experience and that kind of pedigree, and we'll see how he could do. But it might, Western Conference Finals, it definitely Finals might be a <laughs> long term thinking. Yeah, I think that's a very, you know, hopeful thinking for Kevin, who uh, famously predicted at the beginning of the season that the Rockets would win the NBA championship. So uh, Kevin is a little bit of a homer there when it comes to the Rockets. Hey, I thought, I thought they would do really well as of last year, too. I think I predicted that they'll get back at least the Western Conference Finals. Uh, but yeah, that's, that team last year was not that great for some reason. I don't know. A little bit disappointing here in Houston, but uh, hopefully James Harden and uh, Mike D'Antoni can turn things around. And Daryl Morey always surprises us with off-season acquisitions. But Anand, we have definitely appreciate uh, speaking with you today, just covering the NBA, NBA Draft, and uh, Team USA Basketball. And uh, for those that are interested in following your work, not only on CBS Sports, but on social media, you're active on both Twitter and Vine. How can our listeners find you? Yeah, so on Twitter, uh, my name is Anand Panyan, there's an underscore. So my first name is spelled A-N-A-N-T-H underscore P-A-N-D-I-A-N. And uh, that's the same thing as my Vida thing. 
usually on Twitter I just mainly post lines and, and uh, articles I, I write on CBS. But, yeah, or you can just go to our website, cussports.com slash NBA. Um, I mean, follow all of my colleagues there, and, and we, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be work- working there. We have some really good content, so you guys, everybody should check it out, all your listeners. Yeah, we absolutely agree. Make sure to go follow on and on social media and also check out his work on cbssports.com slash NBA on. And we definitely appreciate you joining us this week on the Weekly Brew podcast. And I guess enjoy the summer and the offseason for the NBA. Yeah, you too. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Closing time. We just wrapped up episode 49 of the Weekly Brew podcast. And my goodness, we had some great guests on today's show. We had Justice Winslow, Bart Ennis, Jimmy Price, and Anand Perdian. No. Jesus. <laughs> Anand Pandian. It's like, it even says on his Twitter on profile, in, come on in. On in on Panion. Come on in. On in Panion. On in Panion. Dolores has never met the man, and she's already got it better than you. We spent 20 minutes talking to him. <laughs> I'm terrible at pronunciations. God, apparently so, because you just pronounced it pronunciations. Can you say onomatopoeia? Onomatopoeia, come on. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I don't know why I said that. Yeah. <laughs> Can you say, Frühlingsaitis mit Tagessen, guten Appetit? I don't speak no. Nazi language. Ouch. Ouch. It's German. It's saying, are you, you know, German? I am German. Oh, mm, learn know. something new every day. I know. I, wait, wait, I feel a certain kind of way about that, too. Hold on. What does that look from both of you? Yeah, it's, a, it's a knowing it's look. It's an Adolf Hitler look. Whoa. <laughs> I don't think you're giving him an Adolf Hitler look. I think. <laughs> Just- wow. So we've got two really suspect people on the podcast with me. <laughs> okay. Actually, I think, you know, I would consider yourself a suspect because, you know, you did make an innuendo a little bit earlier. So. Did I? Yeah, you did. No one's remember. more suspect than Donald Trump, but yeah, that's true. That's very true. That's true. You know the scary thing about Donald Trump, and I know His that hands. you guys didn't want to <laughs> talk about this, but the Brexit thing and uh, the UK with the UK pulling out of the EU, the guy that's actually leading that charge for you know Nigel Farage, yeah, what his name? he looks almost eerily similar to Donald Trump. It's probably his clones. Crazy hair, crazy hair, same out, outlandish personality. Nah, I don't see it. I don't know. Maybe you're colorblind. Maybe so. Yeah, I'd like to think that I am but you're not. <laughs> Maybe they were separated at birth. That's, that could be. That could be. But, uh, yeah, scary situation, uh, I guess, with uh, the UK leaving the EU. A lot of uncertainty in uh, Europe right now and for, you know, the global economy at a whole. And that just kind of kind of freaks me out a little bit that, I don't know, maybe America can make a dumb decision like that in November and elect Donald Trump. No, we're definitely capable of making a dumb decision. We've done it numerous times in the past. So, I mean, I, I'm not at all confident that this country's headed in the right direction or will make it the right decision. I'm sort of resigned to the fact that it could really all go to hell here pretty soon. I really think so. And, like, I'm a Republican. I'm not voting for Donald Trump. I mean, I, I can't. I, I mean— I, Are you voting for Hillary? I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's it's either Hillary, Gary Johnson, or Donald Garjo. That's what I'm calling him now. We're close. Garjo? Yeah, Garjo. Vote the Johnson. Yeah. Feel the Johnson. Feel the Johnson. That's it. Feel the Burns. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible innuendos today on the Weekly Brew Podcast for episode 49. But again, we had a great show. And I definitely uh, thank all of our guests for joining us on the podcast this week. But, uh, you know, kind of making the week even better for Kevin was our iTunes reviews. And Kevin... Tell us about it. It's iTunes review time. It's my favorite time of the week. Uh, I feel terrific about the reviews we got this week. There were uh, a couple. Oh, I can't do it because I'm not connected to the internet. You're going to have to take my word for it. There were some reviews, and they were good. Um, we, are, we are at St. John's. I do not have internet access here. 
he's waving a phone at me. No, it's got to feel organic. We'll get you on the next one, whoever loves to serve you. That's, uh, we appreciate it. You're our favorite listener of the week. I just don't know who you are because we lack internet access at this particular moment. Kind of a, a letdown, but I guess Kevin... It's a huge letdown. I'm very disappointed in myself, and I'm rarely disappointed First in myself. First world problems. What would we do without the internet? Gosh, but yeah, we actually do have a beautiful setup right now at St. John's High School. I mean, we're looking out at like a few towers. We've got a track and facility. And the track. I, mean, I used to run on this track. Beautiful windows. I won a lot of medals on this track. Did you? I was a track star at Duchenne. Well, I uh, I was not a track star at the Woodlands High School. You can believe it. Kevin was uh, not a track star either. I was a band star. You were? Yeah. Did you get kicked out? I did get kicked out of band. That's correct. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> shout out to uh, also named Mr. Johnson, my old band director. Oh, wow. How are you doing, buddy? The Johnson. Do you think he listens? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he knows what the internet or computers are. He's not very bright. Do you think he knows what Twitter is? Because, you know, if he does, then maybe he should follow the Weekly Brew podcast. I'm going to go look him up. I think everyone has a Twitter. When uh, the Democrats had the sit-in, there were so many of them tweeting. And I'm like, are you like 70? I will tell you this. After C-SPAN cut off the TV, they started airing, uh, you know, cell phone footage, essentially, from the Democrats sitting in. And uh, I will tell you that the Democrats, you know, while it was kind of cool to get that inside perspective, they need to learn how to film better. I mean, my goodness, talk about, like, camera instability, talking about, like, holding your phone the wrong way. I mean, come on. Come on, guys. Get better staffers. 70. I would be, I would like, be concerned if they were that good at it. I'd feel like, what they had have they... staffers. Yeah, I guess. Hey. That's what they're trained to do. Yeah. But... Anyways, we definitely encourage you to get on social media and follow our work. You can search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also follow our personal accounts at A. Staten, at K. Michael Cook, at one Dolores Lozano. Because there's only one Dolores Lozano. Oh. Really not. <laughs> Why else would you put a number in front of it? <laughs> Touche. Okay. So, Good uh, one. Good one. Dolores was going to drop the mic there, and then Kevin just dove and picked it up and <laughs> dropped the insult and then dropped the mic right there. So uh, you should have witnessed that right I'm now. Much but, uh, more spry than I look. Yeah, so great stuff on this week's podcast. Again, thanks to Justice, thanks to Bart, thanks to Jimmy, and thanks to Anand for joining us on the Weekly Brew Podcast. We hope you enjoy the content. And for my co-host this week, Kevin Michael Cook and Dolores and Lozano, my name is Austin J. Satin, and we'll see you next week. No matter who you are, where you go, or what you do this week, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to the Weekly Brew. 